All right. Hi, everybody, and good morning. This is RCFB Talk 105. My name's Bob Ekhairi, and I wanted to just thank all of you for joining us today for this conversation. We're going to be talking with Princeton head coach Bob Serace, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. So just to kind of give you all an introduction, he's in his 13th year at the helm, 12th season overall. He took the job at his alma mater in 2010 and has won four Ivy League titles, one of them outright in that just stellar 2018 season where the Tigers finished undefeated and in the top 10 of the FCS coaches poll. He himself played center for the Tigers from 1987 to 1990. After finishing last season ranked, the Tigers are, as of this week, finally ranked in both FCS polls. I thought, uh, I'm not sure quite why the other one was taking so long. They've been ranked in the coaches poll already for a couple of weeks. And heading into this weekend's game with Dartmouth, they are currently the lone unbeaten Ivy League program. So, Coach Therese, thanks for joining us and congratulations on the season so far. Thank you. I think am I on now? Yes, you are. All right, so defense has been particularly op- opportunistic this season. The turnover margin is just stellar and you've got 10 guys with at least one interception and, you know, allowing like 11 points per game, 70 rushing yards per game. What's making this unit so solid this season? Yeah, well, I think there were three things when we reviewed the previous year and uh, where we really wanted to focus on, you know, small improvements. One was when we went into spring ball, looking at different ways where we might create opportunities to get the ball back. Right. Really focused on punch outs, things we, we can do. Uh, certain things in our coverages that that I, I thought our defensive staff has been tremendous the second was red zone we were not very good in the red zone the previous year defensively and where we've made slight improvements there as well and then the third was we lost some longtime starters three of our four secondary guys were four-year starters um that we that graduated um jeremiah tyler was player of the year um, you know, a couple of inside backers that were longtime starters. Sam Wright was, if we could have nominated two guys, might have been second for defensive player of the year. So using our depth, um, which we felt uh, we had a great winner in our lifting and spring ball, we could play more guys. You know, you do have an incredible amount of depth because I was just thinking that you've started five different quarterbacks in each of the last five playing seasons. So you have folks who can step up. I mean, this year you've got transfer quarterback Blake Stenstrom, who's out of Colorado originally. And on top of that, by the way, I can't uh, I'll get to the wide receivers in a second because obviously you have Dylan Classy and Andre uh, Yosevash. But how do you prepare a team going through different quarterbacks each season? Yeah, well, again, and credit the offensive staff. Um, we run a very fast-paced tempo, so we're running more plays in practice which means the starter is going to get the bulk of the reps. But when I coached in the NFL, Carson Palmer got every rep and the backup quarterback took scout team reps. We're able to get our backups at every position, but in particular quarterback prepared and get them reps. So last year, like for example, Cole Smith was the starter. If we had a 10 play period, he's getting the bulk of them six, maybe seven, but Blake was getting the rest, and I, I think keeping them prepared in season naturally allows us to turn the page. You go in the off season, obviously there's competition, and um, but but he was much further. Along. 
Got it. You know, it's so funny. I wish my co-host JD was able to make it. He grew up in Hawaii. So when we saw that Yosavash was out of Punahou, we started kind of laughing because we always end up talking about where all the ba- all the top players come out of Hawaii. And he's he's a multi-sport athlete, as I recall. He's he's great at track. Yeah, it's he really, you know, he, he was maybe a little bit of a late bloomer in high school. Um, loved him, you know, in the recruiting process, camp. Um and then his track senior year, I don't know what he long jumped. You have to look it up. It was a lot. And our track coach, who is legendary, uh, Fred Samara, has been here since I, before I was a player, won about 50 Ivy League titles. You know, we share a lot of guys at, at times that um, are two sport athletes said, hey, do you mind if, you know, we look at Andre for the sprints and the jumps? No problem. Then he never met him. Then he sees him, he goes, this guy is going to be the best decathlete in the country. And I was like, well, if he runs the decathlon, he's never pole vaulted through the shot put. We're not going to get him in spring practice. And we made the, you know, we, we worked together and we worked together a lot with guys that that's okay. Because Andre is so diligent. Um, the work he does in the summer, the work he does, uh, you know, in the off season around track would allow him to reach his abilities as a football player as well. Yeah, and being a multi-sport athlete, I've noticed you have several key players, at least in the past and in the present, who've, who've been able to, to share that kind of their athletic talents across programs at Princeton. Yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> when I coached the NFL, Marvin Luce would say, the more you can do. And, and pretty much, man, look, if you're a receiver that can play special teams or those type things, but you know, to me, one of the beauties here is they get to define their experience academically. They get to define what they want to do career-wise. They get to define what they want to do. And we don't have to set limits on them. And we have occasionally the exceptional, the exceptional that can learn how to pole vault and throw a shot put and, you know, do all those things as well as anybody in the country in addition to being the, the type of uh, wide receiver he's become. So you've got Dartmouth this week, and the last three meetings were hyped for both programs. They were, both of you guys were looking really strong heading into the game. This year, the Big Green's having a bit of a down season. How are you going to be your keys to keeping the team focused on this game? Yeah, and some of that, you, you know, when you look at a record and you're like, oh, they're 2-5, and five. Um, and, and the record is what it is. You know, they had Penn, they were up 10-7 with, you know, little time left. Penn had a great drive at the end, kicks a field goal. They lose in overtime, double overtime. You know, they're up pretty big on Sacred Heart. Um, Mounts a great comeback. They lose in overtime. Yale, who's playing great football, they lose, you know, again, in a very close game. You know, so the, the record can, you know, UNH is like, you know, top 15 or so program. They're winning the CAA right now. They lose 14 nothing in a game that could have went either way. So the records can be thrown out a little bit when you watch film. They're a terrific team. They have a coach that's going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. Like, this, this is a tremendous group. And, you know, for our guys, we focus on the video and the preparation. And, you know, that sobers you up real quick when you come in on, you know, on Sunday. And you're like, uh, you, you know, the, the record, maybe you're thinking, uh, maybe we can slide by. And the second they watch the film, they know this is an outstanding football team we're playing. You mentioned Coach Stevens, and, and I know you two are at least are the only current coaches, to, I believe, to have won Ivy League titles as a player and a head coach. 
what's the value of being having been Ivy League players in in coaching the team now? Is there a value in in the head coach having come from the Ivy League himself? Well, I I think there's value in um, you love the the place you're at, right? You know, uh, Buddy was a player of the year, not only a, a champion, but the best player in the year when he played. And I'm sure his friendships uh, go way back to his playing days. It's no different for me that way that, you know, I'm not on a whole lot of technological group chats, but I have one with my roommates and I have one with my college teammates um, that way. And there's some, you know, a little bit of guys on both, but um, I'm on two group chats that way. And these are your friends. These are your lifelong friends, the people you care about the most. And so there's a responsibility that, you know, when the game ends, I'm going up to a tailgate and I'm in a tunnel and Tom Cricky and Jason Garrett are in the tunnel. And, you know, Jason's, you know, talking about our quarterback play and how poised he was and was just gushing and effusive with praise. And these are guys I played with. And then, you know, you go up to the, the tailgate and it's not only guys that I shared the locker room with, but it's guys from I coached. There's guys that played before me that shared this experience at Princeton. And, you know, you understand uh, the responsibilities, but, but there's a, my wife also went to Princeton. Um, there's a love of, of the place you're at. And I, I know he does has shares the same thing. Dave Archer's at Cornell, James Perry, who worked with us here at Princeton is a Brown. Um, there's an extra special love of the place and doing it at the place where you sweat so much. Your father was a football coach for 25 years, and I believe he was your high school coach. Obviously, you're a coach, and so is your brother, Brian, at Fairleigh Dickinson. How much of this is a family business for you? <laughs> um, yeah, you grow up in a locker room, and it, you walk around Princeton, you're going to see all these signs, education through athletics. That is not to diminish the education in the classroom, which is it's the number one school in the country. It's not diminishing that, but um, I got a great education in a locker room in my you know place I grew up. And, you know, we're, we're right now in this very divisive country on all these issues and everything else. And my dad coached a lot of great teams. There were never any issues. There were kids from all walks of life, you know, rich, poor, different races, all those different things. And you are a team. And there's something about the value of a team that translates to once you finish playing sports, once you finish going to school, when you go out and you're older, that those lessons you learn are so valuable. And I, I, I just I, I couldn't wait for school to end and to get dropped off at the field to run around as a young kid with these guys that I thought were the Philadelphia. I grew up in South Jersey. I thought they were the Philadelphia Eagles, right? I knew no difference. You know, the, these were my heroes. And then you go in the locker room and you see them joking around and, you know, just having a great time with each other. And, you know, you realize there's this value in sports for those that are in that arena that goes well beyond the, uh, you, you know, the hitting each other or playing and all that, that, you know, as I said, I have two group chats. It's all the guys I played with. You were recruited by Ron Rogerson. Yes. Before his tragic death. That was, that's awful. I mean, I, I when I read about that, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, right before the season. And then the on, offensive coordinator takes over and, and coaches for 13 seasons. 
what what have you learned about coaching from your own time as a Princeton student athlete? Yeah, you know, and, and Ron and Steve Herbert, who's our associate head coach and, and uh, defensive coordinator, was on that staff as well um, in part of the recruiting process. And um, Ron's passion, <laughs> he was also the O-line coach, and um, his passion was second to none. It was unmatched. Um, you know, I, I just I, I hope when I go out on the field or in the staff meeting, you know, I, I hope there's a little bit that I took from him that lives on. Right. And uh, I, I know the guys that played for him, they just absolutely to this day love him. You know, myself, I only had one year with him. Just love him. And I, I hope there's a little bit that, that lives on. And, you, you know, uh, Coach Tashius, whose son worked with us as a quality control coach for a year. You know, you talk about going full circle and. You know, uh, coach, uh, his, uh, his organizational skill and preparation and, you know, the, the way he hired staff members that complimented him, right? That they weren't all yes men, that were guys that might have different ideas. And he did such a great job managing that and allowing coaches to be themselves. And, and uh, you know, I, I just, I think every person you work with, you take something from, or hopefully if, if, if you're getting a great experience, which I've had throughout my career, you take something from them. You left a, a short and successful run as head coach of Western Connecticut State, a D3 program where you won a bowl and, and got them into the D3 playoffs to take that opportunity with the Cincinnati Bengals. What led to that? <laughs> um, John Garrett, one of my teammates, one of my closest friends, um, had been up for the Princeton job uh, when, when Steve Toshius, uh, was relieved of his duties and I was going to go as an assistant coach with John, John didn't get the job and we had been close friends throughout. Um, John got promoted at Cincinnati and it's, you know, Tuesday in early February and I'm making recruiting calls and, um, I get a phone call from John and he's like, Hey, you have any interest in the NFL? I said, sure. He goes, great. I have a ticket. You're coming out tomorrow to Cincinnati. So I call home. I'm like, tell my wife, uh, Lisa, we got to talk, which whenever you lead with, we have to talk. That's not a good thing to say, not <laughs> cover anything else. I finished my recruiting calls and went home and, you know, she went to Princeton, grew up in Long Island, got her doctorate in psychology at NYU. And we were both working in Connecticut. Her whole life was about an hour outside of uh, New York City. And, you know, back then we didn't have like all this technology. We got out one of those old maps and she goes, is Cincinnati on the left or right side? Because I'm not going to the left side. And <laughs> Cincinnati was when you opened that map full book, like a book, it was on the right side. And um, my AD, Ed Farrington, said, you know, Paul Pasqualoni had been the head coach at um, Western Connecticut and really had done an amazing job. It struggled to even get interviews. He told me he'd fire me if I didn't take the job, if I got offered. <laughs> so I wasn't left with much of a choice, even if it was on the left side of the map. Um, <laughs> you know, went out there and uh, met some amazing people. Dick LeBeau, um, Hall of Famer, was the head coach. Um, I'm up on the board. I'm 31 years old, I think. And Dick LeBeau's firing zone blitzes at me. And I'm trying to protect him with our Western Connecticut pass schemes. And Bob Burkowski, the offensive coordinator, amazing coach, learned so much from him. And then Paul Alexander's the 
you know, is the most exceptional line coach in the world. And he took me in, mentored me. And I, I think so much of the things we do are a combination of him and Marvin Lewis when he took over and I worked with, worked for for seven years. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, how it affected your approach as a head coach before you went there and then after when you took the job at your alma mater. Yeah, the Ivy League is the closest thing to the NFL. You know, we don't have a draft, which, you know, the draft is set up for parity, right? The Philadelphia Eagles are now 8-0, and and the Texans have one win. And at halftime, that game was even, right? Our league is set up for parity in the way it works, um, you, you know, with recruiting. You know, it's set up where, you, you know, it's going to be more challenging um, to get, you know, guys in at Princeton, Harvard, and Yale that way. And so that produces this unique parity. And it's in football only the way they do it in the Ivy League that way. And it creates these incredible challenges. And week to week, you don't play your best, right? We don't play our best tomorrow. It's not going to be a happy tailgate, right, um, in terms of that. Um, and, and that's the way these games go. They're almost always one score games. They're tight games. They're competitive games. And, you know, you, the NFL's taught you that, that, man, well, you got to turn the page no matter what happens after a game. And you can't pat yourself on the back after a win. And you can't literally be in, in, in sulking after a loss, because if you show up the next day sulking, you're going to continue to lose if you're patting yourself on the back you're not going to win very often speaking of the you know, the ivy league in general it's got a unique approach i imagine to recruiting and you've had several guys selected in the nfl draft so clearly you're able to pull in significant talent what's that approach like for you is it is it a national search with a smaller pool um it's a national search with a smaller pool because you know you have to have kids who are um you know, the level of student to be successful at Princeton. You have to have kids with a mindset that Princeton is going to change your life, right? If you engage and embrace it that way, there's a long-term view and what you want to do with your life that way. And we are going to coach with a schedule. And I haven't changed much from what I did in the NFL. Now, obviously these kids are in class during the day. So I don't get them for 24-hour football other than camp. Um, but <laughs> those three hours or four hours during the course of a day, that's exactly what we did at uh, Cincinnati. We are not going to coach them any less. The uh, resources we have, the performance staff, the weight room, the technology we use, the way we watch film, the game plans we do, there is zero reason why we can't do that at the level his coaches that was done at Cincinnati that's being done at um, Tennessee right now, right? That, that we are going to do and take advantage of every resource we have to get these guys to reach their abilities. And um, some of them have had the talent. This is unique this year. 32. We've never had all 32. As of yesterday, all 32 teams have come in at least once. Many of the teams have come in four or five times to see our players. Usually it's in the, the mid-20s, um, but all 32 teams were in. So, you know, there, there's also players know if you're good enough, <laughs> you see it throughout the <laughs> NFL, if you're good enough, 
they're going to find you. Their job's to win games. They're not, their job isn't to educate kids. It's to win games only. So they, they don't care where the guy comes from. Well, that's a high compliment of the entire staff, including everything from position to strength and conditioning all the way down to, to get those guys to where the NFL would come in and take a look at all, all of the teams. Um, there's, there's one question I've been wanting to ask, and this is something, I mean, it's, we cover all kinds of levels of football at our CFB. I mean, international as well. And you coached Princeton in one of the most intriguing exhibition games of the last decade. You know, you headed over to Japan basically to play the Alabama of Japan's college football scene, Kwansai Gakuin University in that 2015 legacy bowl. I've always wanted to ask you about that experience. What was that like? Yeah. So, and, and not to digress, but. I played, so in 1989, we beat Cornell at the end of the year. Schedule's different how they did it back then. And we tied for the Ivy League title. And the celebration of Princeton's first title since 1969. They tore the goalpost down. You know, it was, it was like, you <laughs> see sometimes, you know, it wasn't 100,000 people on the field, but there was 20,000 people on the field and tore the goalpost downs and everything else. And going to the locker room, um, we had a different locker room, but that back then the, the field was a horseshoe and the locker room was in the, the uh, a field house um, across the way. And all the alums are in there smoking cigars and head coach calls uh, about six guys over and lets us know we've been selected to play in the inaugural Epson Ivy Bowl where the Ivy League was sending, uh, I think it was 48 guys, it was like six per team to play a Japanese all-star game. Uh, right before Christmas, we flew over to uh, Tokyo. Um, we played the Japanese all-star team. Johnny Unitas was one of our coaches. Maxi Bond, the old Cornell coach and Green Bay Packer, was the um, uh, head coach. And, you know, I'm playing offense, and Johnny Unitas is calling the plays. You know, <laughs> at that time, the greatest wow. quarterback of all time. And we got to experience Japan. I had never been out of the country and it was the most amazing experience. I have friends to this day, a guy from Brown named John Skinner, whose son came on a visit to Princeton when he was younger, and he's now a row on the rowing team. I have friends to this day that played in that game from, from the other teams. Fast forward, you know, they kept that game going for a few years, and they brought it back. And then there was these individual games. Princeton went in the early 2000s, and they called us up, and we had the opportunity to go in 2015. The most amazing experience. We had guys that didn't have passports, guys like me that had never been overseas, guys that had never eaten sushi, <laughs> right? You're talking about, when you say education through athletics, every day we practiced, and every day we did something culturally. And my kids flew over, and, and they were uh, really young at the time. You know, they were, you know, 9 and 11, and that's the greatest trip. And, you know, these guys that played in that game won championships and all the that, you know, they, they graduated from Princeton. They're in their careers. They will say that's one of the most amazing experiences they had on that. And, um, I, you know, we're, we're about to this year um, uh, bring back the it's not going to be called the Epson Ivy Bowl, but an Ivy League All-Star team is going to go play in Japan. And I can't wait for. Um, some of our players to have that experience. Yeah, I was actually just talking about that with, um, I wouldn't say like close friends, but we're friends with one of the reporters over at the Japan Times, John Gunning, who writes a lot of English, you know, uh, sports. And he was talking about that. The Ivy Bowl, it's in January. It's going to yeah. be Japan's national team versus, and, all, and I assume we'll see some, some Princeton alumni on that team 
heading over there for that game. Yeah, our, our guys, and I, well, I think we'll do a selection process after the year. And um, I, Al Bagnoli is going to coach it. He should, you know, the dean of our coaches and a, another future Hall of Famer. And um, my goodness, you know, um, for some guys that aren't NFL bound to get one more chance and to do it with guys they competed with that are getting this great experience in our league. And um, this game's going to be awesome, and hopefully this thing lasts for the you know the rest of my coaching career here. Absolutely, you know, uh, as we're kind of heading into the rest of your season, there's after Dartmouth, you've also got a pair of rivalry games, and I think you know most of the national audience isn't quite as familiar with the Ivy League rivalries out of outside of perhaps you know the game between Harvard and Yale. But how how big are those rivalries, especially I know with Yale? coming right after Dartmouth. What's the history between the programs? Yeah, I think they're all, you know, literally this week feels like a rivalry game, right? We've uh, um, played Dartmouth in so many competitive, compelling um, games. But even when I first got here, and we've had our struggles, to be blunt. We've had our struggles, you know, being on the the left-hand side of the column against them. But, you know, when both our teams were building, and, and, you know, Buddy – and I both, when we came back to our alma maters, Buddy, for his second stint, we had a little ways to go. And those early games, our teams might not have been the best, but those games were amazing, physical. You left the game with such respect for the opponent. And as we both, uh, you know, maybe improve the talent level, our schemes, whatever, on that, you know, these games have been thrilling games. And I feel like each week, you know, you head into, a, you know, Saturday night game ends. I do the tailgate. I come home. I plop on a couch, turn on college football, and I put on the next opponent. And I'm like, these teams are so talented and so well coached that you don't get a chance to catch your breath. And until about midnight, I watch the opponent we're going to play. And then I wake up in, in the morning early on Sunday and, you know, from 6 a.m. till noon, I'm just watching the next opponent. And it really, you, you don't catch your breath. And, and that's how it's going to be. And, you know, Cornell ended and <laughs> I had some fun at the tailgate. And, and then I kind of locked myself in a, in a room with college football on, wa- listening to it while I watched um, Dartmouth. And, you, you know, I was really hoping that um, their play was more indicative of a 2-5 and five team. And I'm like, this team's as good as any team he sent up here. It's so funny. Um, gosh, 20 years ago when I was in college, I, I had a friend who went to Penn and she was telling me about, you know, if we can beat Princeton, that's that's the season right there. You know, we're going to take down the goalposts and throw them in the river if we win the, the Ivy League. And <laughs> and, I, and they throw toast, but I guess they're going to your guys. You guys are hosting them, so there's no Penn. Uh, students are going to be throwing toast on the field. <laughs> and aren't those traditions great, right? Those, those, oh, it's those, awesome. You know, the, the students that decide to come, maybe they didn't have a football experience at their high schools. You know, whether it's international students or students that maybe went to schools where the football experience wasn't the Texas Friday Night Lights experience. And they come to these amazing schools and then on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, they can engage in the traditions of their school. And I think that's one of the really cool things um, here, here at, uh, in the Ivy League. Well, Coach Therese, I know your time is valuable. As we kind of close out, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what, what is exciting you the most about your program heading into these closing games of the season? God, I, I just, you know, it's funny. 
you get so excited in the morning. You know, outside my office, there's a statue of Dick Kazmaier, the um, Heisman Trophy winner at Princeton, and uh, the only retired number at Princeton's 42 for him and the great Bill Bradley. And, you know, he's in, in that, you know, stiff arm Heisman pose with the ball in his hand. And, you know, I come into work and I high five that statue. And I'm so excited to see the staff. I'm so excited. The players, you, you know, they're so bright eyed and energetic. And, you know, today's Friday. It's fast Friday. And they're going to come out with energy, you know, <laughs> meetings. They come into these meetings and they're so bright, you know, whatever's going on. And there's a lot of pressure at college, right, to be a good student, to socially, to acclimate when they're freshmen. And those few hours you're with them, they're kids again. Right. We're, we're coaching this kid's game. We're playing this kid's game, a game that some of these guys played Pop Warner when they were really young. And we get them in these moments where they're able to have joy and laugh and be together and bond. And, you know, it goes really quick. Some of these guys have been with me since 2018. And I just remember being in their living rooms, having dinner with their parents and thinking, you know, I got these guys for the next, you know, COVID added a year for some of them, but for the next four years and those four years fly. And then, you know, they're back at the tailgate, bringing their kids, you know, successful in their jobs. And, you know, that, that warms your heart when you, when you see them that way. Absolutely. And graduating with a Princeton degree absolutely never hurts with anyone's career goals. Oh goodness. Well, coach, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really interesting conversation. No, this is my first Twitter spaces. I like this. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again at some point. I like it. Absolutely. No, trust me. I had a lot of questions. I was, I was, I was talking, you know, with Warren earlier and I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll be able to full time. <laughs> and uh, so we'll Warren's probably have like, Warren's probably like, if he can turn the phone on, that's a step up. So, you know, <laughs> it actually worked. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Thanks so much and good luck this weekend. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, thanks to all of you listening. That's all we have for today. My name is Bob Akairi. This was RCFB Talk 105 with Princeton head coach Bob Sarace. Thanks to you all for joining us. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.